So, hey, we're in, we're in a series called um, Faith Essentials, and, and what it really is, is kind of the basics of the Christian faith. And it comes out of Hebrews chapter 6, which I'll read for you now, but so far we've just done two series. This is our third Sunday. Um, Dave's going to be doing next Sunday, so it's going to get better. And what it is, is um, we've, done, we've done Jesus kind of the first two weeks, because he's important. He's the place where we've got to start from. He is the cornerstone of our faith, and that was the first Sunday. Um, that is the, the first little picture on the bottom left, the little icon is the cornerstone. And that really, uh, the cornerstone in biblical times set the tone and the, the kind of size and shape for the building. So it determined what the building would look like and how big it could be. Your cornerstone determined all of that. So if that was not quite a corner, you had an, a uniquely shaped house. Um, and then we went in the second week, we spoke about how Jesus was king. So he's the cornerstone of our faith and he came as the king. So fully God, fully man, and he came to die on the cross uh, to bring the ki God's kingdom into place. And that's what Jesus came uh, preaching when he arrived. He, he started off by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. And we went through what the kingdom of God is all about and how Jesus is our king, alive, fully, and reigning. So it's important, and we asked really the same question over those first two weeks, is, is who do you say Jesus is? Jesus asked that of his disciples in Matthew 16, and, and Peter gives the answer on behalf, but it's, it's an important question for us to answer. And you know, the world has many opinions about Jesus. There's, people will say he's, he's a good teacher, you know, he's a good moral person. They might say, you know, he, was, he, he loved people, and he was, like, he, was a good, he was a faith healer. Some people might see him as that. Some people might even see him as a fraud or a or a liar, or, or you know, just as someone who, who wasn't really who he said he was. But you know, I, I love how um, C.S. Lewis sums up that age-old kind of trilemma, uh, where he puts it out there, and, he, and he, he makes it memorable and just easy. It's someone else came, they had that going before him. But he said, Jesus must either be a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord of all. I said, those are your three options. He's either a liar because he... he no good teacher claims to be the son of God and says, you follow me, I'm the only way to God. That's, that's not really a good teacher. We, you can only count Jesus as a good teacher if you take away some of the things he said. So he's saying either he's a liar, so he knew he was a liar, and he was doing it deliberately to mislead people. Or, and I love that C.S. Lewis is one of the best literary minds we have. He said he's, he's a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he's a fried egg. So he says either he's Lord or he's a lunatic. Because of the things he claimed, if they were not true and he believed they were true, he would be an absolute lunatic and we should have nothing to do with him. But we know that neither of those things are true. So, and this is Lewis's logic, ergo, he must be the Lord. He must be who he claimed to be. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Those are your options. And I believe he's the last because I don't see that what he was saying he lied, and I certainly don't think that he is a lunatic, because he proved it in the way he lived. So, we've laid that foundation of Jesus, and Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.11, he says, No one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We must now build our life on the foundation of Jesus. And that's where we start, and that's really where we get to. And it's good for us to go back to these foundations and, and have a look at them. You know, Paul, well not Paul, sorry, the, the author of Hebrews uh, puts it out there in the scripture, and, and Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, and I'm going to read it out of the ESV because it just puts it a bit more um, plainly for us. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ 
and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. And so God willing, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through those and carry on out of this. So that's kind of where we're getting the next few weeks out of, is out of that scripture. So we today are going to be looking at repentance from dead works. So repentance from dead works is what we're looking at this morning. Um, so as we build on this foundation of Jesus, we look at what, what does it mean to repent from dead works? And it's, a, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a weird saying. If, it's, if you've been in church a while, you'll, you'll get what kind of it means. But for most people, like when you hear this, uh, you know, for unchurched people, when you hear like repent, you kind of think of like someone standing on a street corner. Um, and it might be a scary word, but it's kind of the sign around their neck. So you can put up the next slide, Bev. Um, someone standing on a street corner with a sign that says the end is near. And, you know, we, we sometimes think that it becomes this crazy thing where you have, like, we, we don't have to be weird in what it is. But repentance is just a, a, a technical word for changing your mind. It's, it's not like changing your mind about what you're going to order at a restaurant. It's like, it's changing your mind about what you believe about something. It's completely turning around. It's a, it's a complete U-turn, which is why we have the icon we have for repentance from dead works. And so that's what repenting is. It's like, it's like when you used to believe that Land Rovers were better than Toyotas, but now you own a Toyota and you realize you don't have to have oil stains on your garage floor. It's, it's like, for, for me, something that was a brilliant picture for me was I used to smoke. I used to smoke a lot. So I used to smoke two packs of Stavi Red a day. And until I actually, it settled in my heart that I was losing the best 15 years of my life, the last 15. I was going to lose those years at least, probably more. And I had a repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind. Until that thing settled in me, I wasn't able to make that U-turn. I must have quit smoking 30, 40 times. Easy. Some of them lasted half an hour. Some of them lasted a day. Some have lost it a few. I tried the tablets. I tried the patches, the chewing gum. You're not supposed to eat more than one chewing gum every time you want a cigarette. It's not how it works. But it's a, and don't have them at the same time. And it, until I had that change of mind, until I had that repentance in my mind, that until I repented of smoking, I wasn't able to quit. But when that thing settled in my heart that this was going to kill me and I need to repent, a complete U-turn, a change of mind about that, I was able to quit smoking. So it's, it's not just a simple difference of decision. It's a complete paradigm shift in what we're doing for us. It's a, it's a complete framework of belief shift for us. It's a, it's a U-turn. It's not 360 degree turn. It's a 180 turn. Okay, 360 you end up going where you were going. So that's what, that's what repentance is. But what, is, what are dead works? And for me, you know, the, dead works are things that we do to earn salvation. So I love this, this quote from a, a guy called Alexander Bruce. And speaking of um, dead works, he says it like this. He says, they are, they are not only, they're not only dead, but they're death-producing. It is such, a, such an incredible thing. When we do things to earn our salvation. So when we, when we try and do stuff to get right with God, 
Not only are those dead, in other words, there's no life in them, they don't bring our salvation. They, on top of that, they produce death in us because they produce bondage in us because we are living in those things. And it's incredible. And it's, so, so essentially, a dead work is something that promises life. It says, hey, do this and God will love you more. Do this and you will be saved. But it actually brings you into bondage to that thing. It actually becomes your master and you become the slave of that thing. So a dead work is something that leads you deeper into bondage, something you do to, to earn your salvation. You know, hopefully many of us have trusted in Jesus. We've put our faith in Jesus for our salvation and we've had that moment or, or we've come to that place of faith where we are trusting what Jesus did on the cross was enough for the forgiveness of my sins. But what we do and what, we, what happens so easily for us is we slip back into those natural, sinful, fleshly habits of, man, I need to, I need to earn. And you see, what, what the enemy does, and he knows, he's got thousands of years of human study on us. And what he knows is that, man, he might have lost us in that moment to Jesus but he's going to take the rest of our life on earth and try and put us into bondage. And so he comes subtly and he says, yeah, yeah that's okay. And he, and he kind of, that's great, but you, you know, you still need to go to church and you still need to read your Bible. And you know, God's not going to love you enough if you don't pray at least half an hour, 45. And so he takes things that are real good and he makes them dead works. And those things become bondage and there's no life in them for us. They become death. So what happens with that, the bondage and the death comes because there's a subtle self-righteousness that creeps in when we do those things. There's a subtle thing of, I can do enough to earn my way to God, to earn my way, to get ahead, to sit further in, the, in, the, in Sunday mornings. If you want to sit in the front on Sunday morning, just come a little bit late, because the front rows are always open. So. <laughs> but what we must do is, we, you know, for us... the. It's simple with those dead works. We recognize it, confess it, repent of those things, and move on. And that's, that's the essence of what repentance from dead works is, is seeing those things. And the key is to remember that we have, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, he says it like this. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Can you say grace? grace. Through faith. Say, can you say faith? faith? And this is not from yourselves. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear that. The grace and the faith that saves you is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. We can only be saved by grace through faith. This is an incredible thing, friends. It was an incredible moment in church history where this thing was brought back into the church. Because for many years, this, was, this foundational essence of what it means to be saved was lost. And through God's grace and love, He highlighted it. And through brave men and women who sacrificed their lives and were persecuted, we now get to live in this thing which seems so obvious for us in church. But it's incredible, and we can dwell on this for years, and we should, day in and day out, that we are only saved by grace through faith in Jesus and His works. Isaiah chapter 64 makes it clear. He says, 64 verse 6, he says, Our works, the things we do, are like filthy rags. And 
he, there's no kids that are going to understand. Sorry, I was just looking around. He makes it quite clear. The word that Isaiah uses there is not just filthy rag. He says they are like menstrual cloths. They are like, and I don't, I don't mean to be crude, but they are like used tampons. That is what, that is what, is in, that is what Isaiah writes. Not me. Don't get cross with me. Isaiah wrote it. God inspired it. It's in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible is so clear and so obvious about things, and we, we, try, to, we try to cover it up, and we'd be like, Yo, you just look like you know, it's a filthy rag. You've just, it's just... No, he's saying they are things that you throw away. It's, it's, it, that is what our works are like. That is what it is like when we try and work to earn our salvation. And it's so, it's so, it's so sad for me because so many of the, the man-created religions, the, the, the systems of belief that we have as people created over the many thousands of years of church history, did I fill that one up as well? Oh. So many of these, these world's beliefs, the systems of belief that we have in the world, religions, the man-created ones, they, they center around a constant striving to be accepted. You've either got to do these things or sacrifice this or pay this much in order to appease a God or to earn your way in or to avoid the wrath of, of this God or whatever it is, or you know, you've got to do these for these gods and this for those gods. And, and it, it essentially comes down to a fear-based religion. Are you going to heaven? Inshallah, we will get there. It's up to God. I don't actually know. We've just got to keep working and keep working for the rest of our lives. And then hopefully when we die, one day we'll make it into heaven. Man, that must be, that must be the most terrible bondage to live under for the rest of you. I could think of nothing worse. I would rather be a raging atheist than that. Morally, there's some issues that come in with that. But I don't agree with that. But anyway, it's... But for us, friends, where we have this thing that says, hey, you can let go of your fear. You can have certainty about what is going to happen for the rest of your eternity. You no longer need to live in fear. You get to live in faith. We have literally the good news that the world needs. Because the gift of God's grace is complete, friends. There is nothing we need to add to it. There's nothing we need to do to earn it. There is nothing we need to take and go, hey, a little bit of grace mixed with my Bible reading and my good tithing and I'm there, buddy. None of that. The gift of God's grace is complete when we receive the forgiveness. And just maybe as an aside, do you know that the, the cross was always God's plan? It wasn't like God said, okay, we're going to start with Adam and Eve. Plan A. Hmm. Didn't work out so well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this people. And we're going to do a little Red Sea show and, and a time in the desert. Quiet time with me. And, and then I'm going to make a nation. And then, yeah, they didn't do so well. They kind of turned to other things. Okay, listen. Plan C. Christ, cross. Plan C. Jesus. Sorry, buddy. You're going to have to go. Last resort, that's what we're doing. Off you go. Jesus and the cross wasn't plan C. Paul writes to, to his young apprentice, or Padawan Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, he has, speak about um, Jesus, he says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace that was given us in Christ Jesus 
before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time. That was before God spoke and things came into being. John writes it in Revelations chapter 13, verse 8. He says, he speaks of Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. The cross was always God's plan. God knew before he created anything that he was going to give up his life for us. He was going to pour out that grace for us. He was going to give that which was most precious to him in his son for us. It's incredible that he still went on to create us and give us free choice. We have freedom of choice, but our choices are not free. In other words, they are costly. But it's always been God's plan for us to trust him, for us to put our faith and our hope in him. Even under the law in Israel and before that, it was always God's plan and the relationship that he wanted with us. God, Jer the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17, verses 5 to 8, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, he speaks about how when we trust in ourselves, we're actually under a curse. And it's not that God like suddenly speaks out some magic incantation that is over. It's that we are choosing to, to live that way. That living that way is the curse itself. Trusting in ourselves. And he says, when you, when you trust in the Lord, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, is the line he uses there. Because when we trust in the Lord, that is the blessing we get. The, the freedom from trusting in God, the freedom from putting God in control of our lives is the blessing that we get. That is the actual physical blessing. We want to see the things, like we, we often narrow it down, unfortunately, to material things. But living under the, the, the love and the life of God is the blessing that we get. Psalm, 39, sorry, Psalm 37 verse 39 says, The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. God always intended our salvation to come from Him. So, Ephesians 2.10, if you're paying attention, it said, there are good works prepared for us to do. So we understand a little bit about repentance, we understand a little bit about dead works, but what are these good works? So good works versus dead works. Ephesians 2.10, what is the difference? So we, we are called to repent of the dead works, but God has prepared good works for us. So now this is starting to get tricky. So now we're like, yo, I need a line down the page, split it up. What are good works and dead works? So if I gave you some examples, we're going to do a little, a little practical involvement here. Um, you can, you can, if you're brave, you can stick your hand up. So um, Bible reading, good work or dead work? What do we say? Okay, so good work or dead work? Can be both. Oh, tricky, tricky. I gave you a clue earlier because I mentioned it. Nice, nice. Can be both, can be both. Tithing, good work, dead work? No, it's only ever a good work. It's only you must tithe. No, I'm kidding. Can be both. Can be both. How about praying? Good work or dead work? Both. Could be both. That's right. How about sacrificing to the ancestors? Good work, bad work? Dead work. How about circumcision? Hey there. <laughs> I'm being, I know I'm stepping on toes on things. That's fine. It's my job. Yeah, yeah. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Yeah. Don't make it awkward, really. Okay. Lovely. So there. 
So do you see how... <laughs> no, I don't have a slide for that one. So do you see, friends, how, how it's not so much what we do. There are some things that will always be dead works. So there are some things that, will that we cannot do to the glory of God. Does that make sense? There are some things that, that God does not say, like, do that thing to, to, the, to the glory of me. Paul says circumcision is nothing. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Don't do it to try and earn your place with God. It's not going to work. But we often do the other things, the good things, the thing that God has given us that are meant to bring us life, and we turn them into dead works because, and I, I'm not sure if it was, it was someone over here, it was one of the ladies in the front here, they said it's about our heart. It's hard to see with the mask on, I can't see who's talking. But it's about our heart in those things. In those works, it's about the condition of our heart in doing them. So what is the, when you pray, when you come to church, when you read your Bible, what is your heart condition? When you do those things, what is your, what is the, what is your heart doing it for? Are you doing it to earn from God? Are you doing it because you think, man, if I don't do it, God's going to... Unfortunately, I've heard it taught that tithing, 10%, keeps the lights and It's like paying your lights and water. It just keeps it on. It's a terrible thing to say. Because immediately next month, I'm like, yo, if I don't tithe 10%, God's going to flip the lights and water switch on my life. And then I'm going to be... It's horrific. It was, it was trying to be helpful, but it's not. Because immediately that fear thing rises up. That's how you tell. Am I doing this out of fear? Am I doing this because, oh, God got a big stick and he's going to pound me with it? Or am I doing it out of a place of overflow, of love, of faith, of going, God, I'm going to give you 50% of my salary because that's what you've called me to give. And don't limit it out of fear, but give out of faith. And we do these things out of faith and from a place of living in the grace of God. So for me, I, I asked the question, like, why do we as Christians return to that place? Why do we go back? Like, why, if we were once set free, and if you think back to that, if you, if you had a, an incredible encounter with God, or if you came to faith over a long period of time, whatever, however it looks, if you remember those first few months and years, man, they were incredible moments. There were incredible times when you just had this raging faith that was like, I can conquer the world. And then slowly, the day of the world might have ground you down a bit. But you see, so I was like, what, what is it? What leads us to that place where we put this stuff back on ourselves? And we're like, man, I've got to work, and I've got to do, and I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. It's all the shoulds and the ought tos. Those are the things that weigh us down. And I think it, it comes from us. One, I think there's a little bit of a, a, a teaching thing, like a right understanding, like knowing it. And that's what we're going to get into now. But two, there's a practical side to it. So... For first thing, um, if we understand that we are sealed with God, and I use that word intentionally, because, and, I'll, and I'll show you why now, but that we are sealed with God, and we will know that we cannot be separated from Him. You see, I believe that the Bible teaches that if you are saved, you are saved. You can't be unsaved. You can't lose your salvation. I, think the, I personally think the word is clear. The church is, there's two strong teachings on both sides. So you know, but I think that the word is pretty clear and the reasoning behind it is that if I did not earn my salvation, I cannot unearn my salvation. 
People who come to a place of deconstructing or walking away from the church or whatever, they may never have been saved. I don't know. They may still be saved. I don't know. That's up to God too. He's the only one who's going to know at the end of days, not me. But what I see in Scripture and what I understand from the way Jesus gave His life and from how I get to live in faith is that I didn't earn it, so I can't unearn it. I accepted it by grace, through faith, as a gift from God. So, if we are sealed, and I'm going to read three quick scriptures and then finish off. And Paul writes it like this in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 2. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, and here's the word, He set His seal of ownership on us and put His Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1, 13, he writes like this. Paul again, he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, so at that moment, at that start, at that, when you believed, the, the very moment of justification, of that starting of your faith in Jesus, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what Paul is saying in those things is he's saying, we are saved, and the way we know we are saved is if we have the Holy Spirit with us. That's how you know. You've got, you've got God with you. And that's sealed. That word is sealed. It's such an interesting word. It's, it's got a couple of meanings, and he uses it in a the picture there. But the, kind of the, the, the literal meaning of the word is things are joined together. So literally welded together. So when you weld metal, what you do is you actually melt the two pieces of metal and they become one. So it's not just like glue sticking two pieces together. It literally is melting the edges of the, of the steel and it melts into one another and they become one piece. He's, that's what Jesus, that's what Paul is saying here. Is you have been welded together to render as one. To take th- to something that was two and you make it one. It's like when you put food coloring in water, it's now red water. You can't take the food coloring out. But, but figuratively, and how he uses it here, is that seal of ownership. You know, in the old days, they didn't write a, a heck of a lot, particularly kings and stuff. They, they would use, an, and people couldn't, most of society was illiterate. So people would use symbols. So the king would have a stamp, or it was like a ring, often. A signet ring was a thing with the, the symbol of the king of, and on it. Or he would have a, an actual seal maker, and they would pour hot wax, you might have seen it, and then they put, that, they put that stamp in it. That stamp is called a seal. So when he puts that seal on, you know that what's inside the letter is from the king. To steal or copy that seal, that stamp that made that thing, was high treason and you were instantly killed. That's how valuable that seal is. And that's what God puts on us. At that moment of salvation, He says, I have stamped you, I have placed you, you are saved. Fully saved, completely saved. You have the Holy Spirit with you. That is the deposit that guarantees what is to come. So because you have that deposit, because you have that seal on you, because you have been welded together with God, we don't need to work for our salvation. We no longer need to do the dead works. It is all about God's grace. Lovely little anagram for you on the last slide. God's righteousness at Christ's expense is God's grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what we receive. That's how we are saved. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. 
receiving something you didn't deserve. You haven't earned it. Let me set you free this morning. You have not earned it. You cannot earn it. That is the best news you can ever hear. You cannot earn your salvation. And we have that news that we get to take out into the world. Where we get to share with them, man, there is a way for you to be freer than free. For you to live in a, a life that is absolutely free. Free from worry about where you're going. Free from striving and trying to get in. And it is a life in Jesus that brings absolute freedom. Then it doesn't matter what goes on around you. Yes, it's difficult. And yes, we face hard times. And yes, there are struggles in life. But at the core of who we are, we know that we are sealed with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit with us. So let us repent from our dead works. And the beauty is, is that we have that. We have that moment of forgiveness. Sharon had a word in the pre-service prayer meeting. And the word was forgiveness. Did you come play, buddy? And I believe this morning that, that God is wanting to bring us to a point of forgiveness. And I only believe it because Sharon shared that word, but also because I prepped. But when, when we come to God and, and we are willing to repent of those things, and, and again, it's not like God is trying to make us jump over a high jump bar or jump through any hoops or anything like that. It's going, he's going, man, this is good for you. This is right. This is the best for you, is to repent of those things. And his forgiveness is ready and waiting for us to set us free. So, just as we close, I wonder, you can stay seated. You can maybe close your eyes. We're going to pray for a bit. And we're going to just, just give two minutes just to do some business with God this morning. And in your hearts, we're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to ask anybody to, to do anything. But just, man, maybe there's things in your heart that you've been doing that are dead works. And maybe the Holy Spirit's been highlighting them as we've been talking this morning. And I've used some examples, so don't, don't steal my examples. Maybe you've got your own. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love poured out through Jesus on the cross. I thank you that there is no other name by which we can be saved than Jesus. I thank you, Father, for your loving heart towards us. I thank you that you have given us the grace and the faith to be saved as a gift. And this morning we receive your forgiveness, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and show us where we have been living in bondage, where we have been living in bondage to dead works, God. Where once we were set free from those things, but we have returned to old habits or old ways, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come and set us free this morning. Just while we're praying, and if you've got your eyes closed and praying, and you can just say it in your heart. I just feel there's a, we need to confess some stuff, but you don't have to confess it out loud. It's just in your heart. Just say, Father, forgive me of, and you fill in the blank.
thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are so good to us, Lord. We give you praise. We worship you, God. We exalt your name, Jesus. And we give you everything that we are, Lord. Come and have your way in us and through us. Amen. Amen.